happy Halloween, everybody, or, or just about. We're recording this on Tuesday, but it's another Boilers Extra podcast. I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier. He is my colleague, Mike Carmen. What are you uh, going as this year on Halloween? No, I was going to ask if you had to pick one for Purdue football player to go as for Halloween or one Purdue athlete, what would it, who would it, who would it be? Wow, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> yes, um, that's the first time anybody's ever said that to me. In my I would, thirty years in this business. <laughs> I would definitely pick someone with a with a with a much more defined physique than I have, and and hopefully maybe it just stays that way. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. I think for Halloween that Carson Edwards should go as Rondell Moore, and Rondell Moore should go as Carson <laughs> Edwards. We should it should be just be a thing like maybe if Purdue is is out of bowl contention for some reason late in the season maybe they just flip for a game and, and basketball plays with Rondell Moore and and football plays with Carson Edwards and and uh, see what happens. Rondell's played hoops before. Yeah, and Carson used to play football. Did, what was his position? He was a, a slot guy, I think, and played really? some DB. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're they're roughly the same size and they have the same muscular build. I want. I, I don't. Do we know Carson Edwards' squat numbers? We don't, but you can look at him, and, and, and I assume they're, they're pretty good for a guy of his size. His brother also plays football. His brother plays at – it's actually escaping me right now, which he's, he's gone to a couple schools. But um, his brother is a college football player, so it, it's in the genes a little bit. Maybe they could have a squad off, Rondell and Carson, a squad off one day. Ah, boy. You know, I like, I like Rondell's chances there just because <laughs> I think those guys hit the weight room in a different way than the yes. men's basketball team hits the weight room. Not that they don't. They, they put in their time, too, and you can look at – I even wrote about it. You can look at Carson Edwards and see um, – he would be one of those people that, that I would want to be for Halloween because it would make me look better just trying to to, to have the, the Carson Edwards build. Well, and basketball is a sport where you, you don't want to be too muscular at that position. You don't want to – Right. You don't want your muscles to – get in the way of your of your quickness and being able to dribble with the ball and stuff like that. You want to be strong and all that all those kind of things where football, you know, Rondell's strength really comes into play. And we've seen it as he's busted numerous tackles this year and bounced and defenders have bounced off him. So yeah, I think that Rondell should go as Carson and Carson goes Rondell. You know, I'm a little bit limited as to who I can go as for Halloween because I can't go as like Matt Harms, so like my head's gonna be just like sticking out of the belly button, and then well, you don't have the hair either. I, I, I could I could work with the hair a little bit. I could I could come up with something for the hair. They make I could go buy a a, a bottle of gel or whatever, but um, I'm just vertically limited as to which Purdue athlete I could. Which is good news for Purdue actually that right. I can't really match up with a lot of their their athletes. I'd probably have to go as like Tommy Luce. That would probably be the only option. Maybe Brady or maybe Brady Braum. <laughs> Well, if you see Brady, I'm going to ask him what he's going to dress up as Halloween today at practice or tomorrow at practice if he shows up. So that that would be uh, that'll be interesting. That would be a I think inquiring minds want to know on that. <laughs> um, well, I think that it, there's a chance that uh, when trick or treaters come to Jeff Brom's house this year, they might be bringing treats instead of leaving them <laughs> because it's been obviously a topic of conversation in the Purdue fan base now. And it, it probably just always will be, as long as he's at Purdue, um, or until Louisville disbands his football program for some reason. Um, th- this is going to be a topic, and it was a hot topic after the Ohio State win especially. I mean, he was the hottest team in the country, or hottest coach in the country for that week, just sprung this huge upset, uh, and Louisville, the things are not going well there this year for Bobby Petrino and the whole program, and 
so now coming off of a loss, you know, Purdue doesn't play all that well up at Michigan State, loses to a good team. You still expecting this to be something that is going to kind of kind of hover here over the final weeks of the season? As long as Jeff Brom is the coach at Purdue and Louisville, as you said, has a football program, uh, this is going to be a a conversation that happens every year until Louisville's situation is is more settled than what it is right now. Um, Jeff Brom's name is always going to be connected with it and. And rightfully so. I mean, it's an easy two plus two equals four situation. Uh, but I, I'm, I don't know for sure if that's his end game. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people jumping to conclusions and assumptions about where he would go if he would leave Purdue. Um, and as you and I have talked in uh, car rides to Big Ten cities, you know, I, I don't... Off the mic, not while we're recording. <laughs> not while we're recording, but, you know, the... The NFL is, is is I believe is appealing to him. He studies the NFL so much because it's the highest level of football that you can gain ideas from, and I, you know I think that's intriguing to him. But also I think um, the NFL is probably intrigued in Jeff Brom in some way because right. of his of the way he runs his offense in a system. And now some of the things he does at the college level, like get in the face of his quarterback on the sideline and things like that, don't work in the NFL. And he knows that because he's been in the NFL. So he, he was an NFL yeah, quarterback for right. a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, he understands how the NFL works, even though it has changed and evolved since he, since he was in the league. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be uh, something that's going to come up. And, and the reason it does come up, there's a lot of reasons it come up a, because he's having success at a, at a program that's not viewed as a traditional power. It's not viewed as having a lot of success, which it hasn't. That's number one. And, the, the national media always quick to, to push somebody out the door at some place because they just don't view Purdue in, as a, as a destination job, you know, Oh, Jeff Brom can do better than Purdue. Um, and yeah, one time I, I would completely agree with them that Purdue was not and Purdue is not a top level football program per se, when you start stacking it up with all the traditional powers, uh, in the country, but this is not the same Purdue program it was before Jeff Brom, you know, got here. You know, the, there's more commitment from the administration and the athletic department, not only financially, but just all the things that they need to have a successful program. And I think this year you're, you're seeing Purdue in what I think most people thought would be a transition type of year. Yeah, they are four and four, probably where they should be at this point. Just the path to four and four has been a lot crazier than than most of us thought but you're hitting the month of november and you're still in the conversation to win the big 10 west purdue has an outside shot of doing that it it can happen it probably won't but just think if jeff brom gets the kind of guys that he in here that he wants and if the 2019 recruiting class stays together and you add a few more key pieces to that then you're going to be in the conversation in the big 10 west for a long time and then you're just one game away from either playing in the Rose Bowl or playing for something bigger after that, depending on, on your regular season. So th- this conversation will never really go away until Louisville settles its situation or Jeff Prom is not here anymore. Uh, or they give him one of those lifetime contracts, which they shouldn't <laughs> type of thing. Right. You know it- – Here's the other thing fans need to recognize. I understand why they have some consternation about this. 
especially because you just came from kind of a prolonged period of not feeling especially proud of the way your program was playing week in and week out. And now, I mean, look at this. Okay, they're four and four, but they've been in every game. They've had a chance to win every game. That was something you couldn't say about Purdue football just not that long ago. There were a lot of weeks where things were done by halftime. And so I understand why fans are worried about this. But the way they need to look at it is they need to kind of welcome it in a way. Like you you want your coach, if you're at Purdue, you want a coach that other programs might want to come take. You know, they went through it with Matt Painter. Um, look at look at other coach. Look at other programs that have guys that you think are like established there and are like married to there. You know, every seemed like every year for a long time, some NBA team was coming to talk to Mike Shashevsky or Tom Izzo. Um, I know I'm talking basketball right now, but John Beeline last year, the Pistons have an opening. He was a candidate for that opening and talked to them in some way, um, and ultimately stayed at Michigan because he has a really good situation there. But I, and, and I'm sure there are football equivalents to that where where there are guys who people are coming to. I know Iowa went through that with Kirk Ferentz for a while. NFL teams coming to, to get him. I mean, I feel like it's it's something you should both want and I guess fear at the same time about your program. And the, the thing that other thing Purdue fans need to remember is not only is Purdue different now because of what Jeff Brom has done here these last couple of years, but it's also what. Mitch Daniels and Mike Bobinski and Mike Berghoff and the board of trustees have also done to help make this a position that would both attract and better retain a coach who someone was coming to get. It's facilities. It's the commitment that they've put forward financially, just in terms of salary and things like that. You know, Purdue is better equipped to fight for, to keep a coach than it has ever been before. Right. Well, a couple of things. I was on our radio show last week with uh, up in East Lansing or Lansing and uh, we started talking about the same uh, subject. And uh, the host said, you know, when Mark D'Antonio came to Michigan State, they all, all the attention the first few years because they had success was, well, when's he going to leave? Where's he going to go? Uh, this school's open. That school's open. Yep. You know, is he going to go to an NFL job? And coaches listen and Jeff Brom is going to listen to anybody that wants to hire him. And he did, he did last year and he's going to do it again. Uh, but the point that the the host made is like, here we are, however many years later and Mark D'Antonio is, is still the, still the head coach at Michigan state. And he's fully ingrained in that program. That program is his. Uh, and you don't hear that talk anymore. It doesn't mean that if Jeff Brom is here 10 years, you're still not going to hear that talk. Uh, but, now Michigan State is viewed as a national type of program because of the success they have. So every year you don't really you you don't hear that conversation at least nationally. You may hear it some some things around the program uh, and stuff like that. So um, you know Jeff talked about it last week as well as he could and um, and just maybe tapped the brakes a little bit on it last week. And it, it really doesn't matter at this point whether he wins or loses games. Yeah, if he was 0-12 Louisville, he would still be a viable candidate at Louisville. Uh, he may not be a viable candidate at, in the NFL if he was 0-12 unless the Cleveland Browns like that, <laughs> like that kind of record. Uh, so They're more in an 0-15-1 kind of. <laughs> Yes, I didn't realize how bad Hugh Jackson's record was until they publicized it yesterday. Oh, no, it's, it's just it's not something cool. I follow. Three thirty-six and one—that's no. that's awful. Yeah, 
in a, in a, in a league that boasts parity. Yeah, that, that, it's hard to do in a league where yeah, there's a lot of a bunch of teams bunched between like six right. and ten and eight and eight every yeah. year. But no, I mean this is going. To, it, it, you're right. In a good, in in one way, it's good that uh, these conversations happen because it means Purdue's having some success. And and I, you're and you're right. People should just enjoy what they have. And if he if he leaves this year, next year, five years from now, it's going to be a pretty good era of Purdue football. And you hope that. And, and the pieces will be in place in order for that uh, to continue. But it's just it's just the way of life right now around here. And, you know, Purdue's job is to make this home for Jeff Brom and his family. And there, there are indications that that's, that's happening. And, you know, I think he's he likes the community. His family likes community. Um, and, you know, he's got a I, – I think he's got a really good situation here uh, right now. And I think it can, it can get better. And I – pretty sure it will get better uh, over time that, you know, Purdue will be viewed as one of those, those jobs. Like, okay, that's a, that's a destination type of job. And Joe Tiller went through some of this too in his career when he had success early, there were schools coming after him, look, trying to talk to him. And, um, and he never, um, he didn't have the same situation that Jeff Brom, uh, the relationship that Jeff has with his AD, you know, Joe and, and Morgan didn't have that kind of uh, relationship, but, you know, there's a lot of good things in place for Brom here at Purdue, and you know that's going to be a factor of what whatever happens with this thing, if anything happens at all. And I also wonder about the pressure of going back to a place like Louisville after it's on the decline or at a low point, and you're already like favorite son, and now you've got to come in and be like the savior of of this place. That's not an easy challenge to take I mean, on. If you go back to his opening press conference. A couple of years ago, he came to Purdue because everyone told him not to take the job. He wanted the challenge. He liked uh, to be at a place that he could make a difference. You know, but Louisville is kind of separate from any other job that's out there for him, in my opinion. It's home. You know, his mom and dad still live down there. He still has a house down there. So, you know, and maybe part of his coaching dream was to go back there and you know save that program or build that program but you're, you're right it's it's a different situation when you go back home I mean you have to be really good from from the start and uh, patience is something that people don't have nowadays he would yeah, obviously have a longer leash down there if things uh, if things struggled uh, but you know we're also getting way ahead of ourselves we are <laughs> so, and I guess and the other thing I would say too is that in addition to all those facilities and the money and the thing I was talking about before, if, if Jeff Brown were to leave, you've also got Rondo Moore here for another couple of seasons, at least a highly, um, an explosive player that any coach, I think any offensive minded coach would love to, to have. You've got some talent on that side of the ball that's sprinkled in here for the next couple of years. So you're going to be able to attract a really good coach to take this job. I think the one question mark would be the timing of it. If it were to happen this year, what does it mean for the 2019 recruiting class? Because there's obviously a lot of Louisville guys in that class that would maybe be enticed to, to get pulled that way. And guys even at other places who you would see kind of a feeding frenzy, people coming in trying to pick them off. Well, that that's that's the key. And you still have guys that are not committed that are, that are probably waiting to see what happens with Jeff. I mean, if Jeff Brom's not here, I think you have uh, a lot of people that leave this class. And you don't get some of the people that you want to fill this out. That's that's just part of it. And you know there are 
there are really uh, a lot of ramifications if he would actually leave this year that would probably damage Purdue football uh, in a way that it really hasn't been damaged. I know that we just went through a nine-win, <laughs> four-year tenure that had a lot of damage, but this 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 situation would have long-term effects. I yeah. I, I, I think and. Uh, but and, those those are just kind of part, those are the things that are out there right now that um, you know it's just it it's always something to watch it's always something to monitor uh, and you're never going to be really certain to separate fact from fiction and w- what's going on type of thing um, but again it's it's Jeff Brom and his family enjoy roller coasters and this is getting ready to be another roller coaster <laughs> ride. For, for everyone involved is just to see where it event where, where where it lands well that's like you say that's in the future maybe maybe not it may be a complete nothing when we get you know later into this month and into December and it might not be something that we have to even talk about but something we do have to talk about is the game Purdue just played which was a 23-13 loss against Michigan State at Michigan State and then looking ahead to, to Saturday's game against Iowa um, a, a fairly big juncture here um not that purdue still can't you know they'll still have a couple games left can be bowl eligible there's some very winnable games there but they're trying to stay in this race for the big 10 west and these are the people they're going head to head with in these next in the next couple weeks iowa and wisconsin that are also involved in that race everybody's chasing northwestern who has the upper hand um, in the in the loss column and they've already beaten wisconsin this past week so Thing, and they've already beaten Purdue as well. So that that's two teams that they have a direct head-to-head leg up on. Um, just can, can Purdue stay in this race, and how tough is it going to be for them to to still be a factor in this? And and it, really, Saturday seems like a must-win to stay in that conversation at all. Well, Saturday is an elimination game for both right. teams. I mean, it's just it's it's everybody. You know, it's it's the old summer baseball tournament. Both teams have one loss, and the loser basically go home goes home from yeah. from the Big Ten West uh, championship discussion. And it, it, it's going to be really hard for Northwestern not to win the in the West, in my opinion. And Iowa probably has the best chance to overtake them because they still play Northwestern. You know, if Iowa can beat Purdue this week, and then beat Northwestern next week, and then finish out their last two games, uh, then they're they're going to win the West. So they 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 still control their own situation. Where Purdue, with the loss to Northwestern and the loss last week, um, really you know they need Northwestern to lose twice, and that would be to Iowa and then most likely to Minnesota because they finish with Illinois. So Purdue Purdue needed help even before last week. Now they need even more help to do that, but. Um, if if they if if they happen to lose this week, there's still plenty to play for with the bowl, the bowl game. And if you still end up with six wins or potentially seven wins, it, it'd be hard to hard to scoff at that as saying that's that's a bad season because you have one more win than you had last year, yep. and that would probably include you know you have the win over Ohio State, and that would probably include a win over Wisconsin. Uh, so the program would still be on the uptick, but you, you don't you, you think you'll be back in this conversation in a year, assuming everything stays together, but you take advantage of the opportunities that are there. So this this is if you want to stay in the in the in the West race, which uh, if you talk to them, they're going to say yes, then this is this is a must win uh, for for this program. 
to just to stay in that conversation. Jeff Brom yesterday at his press conference talked a little bit about his disappointment in the way they defended Michigan State, giving up too much on the edges. I was sort of during the game, I know fans were complaining about that, and my response was, I don't know if they have another really good option there. And it's it's worked. I mean, and if this offense had done what this offense was supposed to do and what this offense had been doing for weeks leading up to that, I know the challenge was tougher against Michigan State. But if the offense had executed better, then I don't think these th- that soft defense, air quotes, shows up quite as much. No, no, it doesn't. Um, and you, people have to understand, this is, this is how they've played most of the year. I did think they were a yard or two softer than they have been in the past, especially against a group of receivers that were not Ohio State athletic caliber. I mean, these – you know, you, with with the injuries to Michigan State, you're dealing with second and third team guys out there. Now, granted, Purdue's on the, in the secondary, especially at the cornerback position, is not. You know, they're they're playing a, a fifth year guy that started here as a walk on, and then a redshirt freshman yep. uh, most of the game. So, uh, I, I it was it was just too easy for them to play pitch and catch in that situation, especially that, uh, a drive t- right before half. Yeah. They didn't even have a third down in that, in yeah. that drive. And then that's, uh, so it was, it was some parts of it were too easy, but you know, produce program right now is built around offense. You have to, you have to produce a little bit more and you got to make a few more plays. Uh, but all the credit goes to Michigan state's defense in, in my opinion. And then as you keep di- dissecting the game, you know, if special teams doesn't have the gaffes that it had, where you have the false start penalty that moves a field goal back five yards, you don't have a player jumping on a on a, on a blocked field goal that goes beyond the line of scrimmage, and um, and then the block Purdue having its own field goal blocked um, uh, late in the game that that potentially would tied it. If if somehow those things don't happen, then you're still, you know, at the end as we said the other night, this was a sixteen thirteen game. You know, the late touchdown made it a ten point game, but you're, you're right there. So you're, it just it emphasizes a lot of things. Hey, you still, you know, produce program still has that that small margin for error. Uh, this team, and to some degree, Purdue will always have that, regardless of the talent they bring in. But you know, you're also not, you know, you're also you're not that far away. You're not that far away from, you know, maybe getting that game to overtime or or, or maybe winning that game and. Those are the same. You clean up those mistakes this week against Iowa, then you're going to be, I think you'll be there in the fourth quarter. Well, let's look ahead to Iowa, who uh, Jeff Brom started a complete non-controversy yesterday by insinuating was a better team than Michigan State, which I will also go on the record and say, in which uh, you know, the proponents of coaches and writers in the country have said Iowa's better than Michigan State by putting them higher in their respective polls um, this past week and for – significant portion of the season i think um why is michigan state better than iowa or i'm sorry why is iowa better than michigan state <laughs> i mean I, it's it's i mean people can just look at the numbers it's they're they're i think the number two defense uh, in total defense in the big 10 they're averaging 30 points a game as opposed to a michigan state averaging 20 points a game this is a more complete team on both sides of the ball i think well, than michigan state was first of all you start at the quarterback they have a better quarterback uh now maybe when brian lewerke healthy it's, it might be an even matchup. Now, Nate Stanley has not played particularly well these last couple weeks for Iowa, but they're also playing Penn State and yeah, <laughs> can't remember who the one was before that. But I mean, they've played some good teams, right? They've, yeah, they've they've really. But just going on pure 
Uh, Stanley is a better quarterback than Rocky Lombardi. I mean, that's the fact. And until, now, now that, that teams have tape on Rocky Lombardi, assuming he's going to play more, we'll see if he holds up uh, the rest of the year. You know, credit to him if he if he does. But he's going to encounter more adversity this week than he did uh, uh, last week. Uh, you know, I think uh, when you know Michigan State has just been hurt with injuries. And you know Iowa's offensive offensively is better uh, when you when you stack them up with the offensive line and some of the skill positions. They have tight ends that are that are really good, all American type of, of tight ends. You know, and defensively they've you know when you look at the numbers they're pretty even. When you know both teams are one and two and rushing yards allowed in the Big Ten and two and three I think nationally. Uh, so it's you know part of what Jeff Brown was saying was directed at his team more than anything else to say, listen, if you thought Michigan State was good, Iowa's better. And some of that is his coach speak to say, hey, you got your you got a big you got a bigger challenge this week and they and they do to some degree. I know Purdue won that game last year at Iowa, but they had less than three hundred total yards. Uh, they used two or three big plays to really win that game and their defense played really, really well. Uh, you're gonna need more big plays this week more than you had last week against Michigan State. Being at home should help that a little bit. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I think Iowa's probably just better right now. And it's really hard to say until two teams play. But are we going around saying Purdue is better than Ohio State this week? No. <laughs> I'm not sure we would. It, I'm not sure we would say that. I mean, right. for that one day, Purdue was better than Ohio State. But when you look at the overall season – that's not going to be the case. I think Purdue's a better football team than Eastern Michigan. Right. It doesn't change the fact that Eastern Michigan won that game. Right. And I, I certainly – it's just this idea that if you say one team is better than the other, it means you're slamming the other no. person, the other team. It's, it's ridiculous to me. Well, I mean, Mark D'Antonio after the game was – he was saying – I'm paraphrasing. He was like, well, people thought that Purdue would just come in here and win, so we got, you know, we got a piece of our territory back. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what he was trying to say, but – he still lost to Michigan the week before. Right. You can't change that, and you can't change the fact that Michigan State beat Purdue. But I mean, so if if Purdue beats Iowa, where does that where does that <laughs> where does that put Purdue? It gives you a headache, is what it does. It's just it's college football, unlike you know, like the NFL in some degree. It's it's a week to week sport. I mean, things change so much. What you see one week is. You don't see the next thing. You don't see the same thing the next week unless you are Alabama or Clemson right now. And even Ohio State has proven that what you see one week is not what you see the next. Defensively, what is it that Iowa does so well, and what do you see as the challenge for what? Well, it's going to be up front in the same situation they they faced last week. You know, they got smacked in the mouth last week by Michigan State's physicality, and they didn't they didn't respond uh, properly and. Uh, they're going to have to protect David Blau better. They're, you know, Purdue's going to have to find some sort of running game. Uh, they only had 13 attempts rushing, and one of those was credited for a sack. Uh, and that's that's the fewest rushing attempts that I could find since the 2006 uh, Champs Sports Bowl. Uh, so they, they probably need to commit to the run just a little bit more. Uh, but they got to give David time. David David Blau has to play better. Uh, his his outside receivers need to get open, um, and but I think last week again re, reemphasized that Purdue's not probably at the level to take on uh, 
or to have a lot of success against these kind of defenses just because they lack the playmakers on the outside uh, and they're not as you know physically strong uh, on the offensive line as a Michigan State and they're going to they're going to have the same issues with Iowa and Iowa's traditionally known for really good linebacker play uh, and really good cornerback play and you got you usually have bigger bigger cornerbacks that are able to swallow up smaller wide receivers but you know Purdue has Rondell Moore this year that it didn't have last year that they can get him in space and you know I thought Michigan State did a really good job of you know he had 10, 11 catches, or it was 11 catches, but only 74 yards. So he didn't get a lot of yards after the catch, something he's done uh, in the first uh, seven games. Even when you take out the one that was for like a seven-yard loss or whatever, you're still talking about eight yards a catch. That's not the production that you're used to seeing from him. Uh, Going back to the offense, I was on social media the day of the game, you know, kind of making the point I thought that Purdue's inability to run the ball was really a problem in that game. And I was getting some blowback from people who – kind of saying that, well, that's not what Purdue is. And in the modern game of football, that's not really college football. That shouldn't be an excuse anymore. You've, you know, things have, it seems like an antiquated argument. My argument being there's still going to be some point in that game where you're going to line up and they know you're going to run the ball and you have to get those yards. You know, when Purdue's pinned at the one yard line with the the kind of team it has, it, it needs to be able to get three or four yards, just some kind of, you know, cushion. And it couldn't get that. That was, you know, a game that's a three-point game is decided by just those those small moments. And and that was, I thought, one moment where they, they missed an opportunity. If they could have just gotten a first down, just get some kind of traction, even if you end up still punting, you're, you're, you're flipping the field a little bit more. Um, is is What does Purdue have to do to get – is that something that can even be achieved this year? Or are you looking really into the future before this team can get back to a, a point where it can go head-to-head against a team this good and, and really run the ball well? Well, I, I or think, not even run the ball well, just run the ball adequately because it didn't even run the ball well, adequately. When when you don't have a running game, it takes options off the table when it's fourth and four, and you're trying to pick up a first down, and instead you throw a short pass to Rondell Moore, who's immediately swallowed up, and doesn't get the first down. So it it, is, it takes a lot of options out of your playbook when you when you can't establish that kind of uh, a run game. You know when when are they going to be able to do it? You know, I, I don't know. Purdue's never really been known to have a a top of the top of the line offensive line. Well, uh, but that's my point. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I still think this could be a team that that is still pass oriented. But well, it always will be pass oriented. But you do need to run the ball. You need to show that you can run the ball, and you need to know you need to show on those third and ones and twos. And when you look at just the pure numbers of it all, they've been really successful on third and short this year being able to pick up uh, first downs. But it's one thing to do it against Illinois and Nebraska and, and some of those teams. And but even Ohio State. Which in, is- yeah, I mean, they're, they're talented off uh, defensively from an athletic standpoint, but just a mess in other, <laughs> in other areas right. when, it, when, it, uh, when it comes down to it. But you have to be able to, to, to run the ball when, when, when you need to. And, you, you know, and I think – uh, another part, uh, another another situation maybe to watch this week is that if David Blau gets the same kind of pressure, I think he needs to use his legs a little bit more, not to get out of trouble, number one, but also to be a threat. And these, you know, maybe it's a situation where if your first two progressions are covered, boom, you take off. I mean, I saw a little bit of that with the Bears game on Sunday where uh, – uh, Trubisky 
really used his legs after his first two options were were covered, and he just took off and ran. And you got to be careful. You don't want to take one of those hits. But I, I think that a running game will soften up the defense a little bit, but a quarterback scramble maybe softens it up just even more because now that's somebody else they have to pay attention to because most defenses, unless you're an option quarterback, don't really account for the quarterback. Mitch Trubisky, strong Halloween game, by the way. <laughs> he did. Showing up Ditka. as Coach yeah. Ditka on Sunday. Well was, thought out uh, and well, well planned, well executed. Topical. Right. Day of, you know. Um, we're getting late in the podcast here. I wanted to transition to basketball, which is, is rapidly coming upon us. Purdue played a close scrimmage, secret scrimmage, <laughs> against West Virginia over the weekend. Um, they play a open exhibition on Tuesday or Thursday night at home against Marion, and then next Tuesday is the official season opener against Fairfield. So the ramp up is, is sort of happening, and I think Tuesday or I'm sorry Thursday is going to be an interesting night just because this is still a team that we know has individual talent, and I think they're starting to kind of get an idea of how it's going to come together. But but still some questions out there. You know how is this team going to defend? effectively doesn't look like they did that on Saturday although scrimmages it's a different scenario a little bit but you gave up 95 points I don't think they're going to be real happy about that they did rebound pretty well but a lot of that was on the offensive end and sometimes the way maybe West Virginia defends can lend itself to that a little bit shot the ball horribly in the first half shot the ball great in the second half from the perimeter big game for Ryan Klein Um, but but exactly what rotations you're going to see those things are still kind of a work in progress it seems and it's going to be going back to last year you came into a year with four senior starters and just a set team I mean I don't I don't think there was a, a lineup change until maybe when Vince well, Edwards got hurt well, injury in or injury or illness came right out. yeah and, and it was it was those five guys and this year you know they, they started uh, Carson Edwards Ryan Klein Nojal Eastern Grady Eifert and Matt Harms that's probably I would guess the starting lineup you'll see on Thursday night and maybe even next Tuesday, I would be very surprised if that was the lineup you'll see night in, night out all season. I think you're going to probably see some variance there. And I actually think that's a feature as opposed to a bug this year. I think they're going to be able to to do some different things maybe with matchups. It's going to be a, a more versatile team. But at the end of the day, it, it's almost more important who's on, to use a painterism, it's going to be more important who's in there at the end of the game, who are the five guys you're counting on to close off a win or to make that, that rally, and I think they're still trying to find out what that mix will necessarily be. Yeah, I, I, this to me, this is a team that opponents will look at and say, "You have to prove it that you can you can beat us." Yep. I mean, last year when you had the four starters, the way that they had played in their career, uh, and the way that they were playing, you know, there was not you knew what they you knew what you're going to get, you knew what you had to defend, you knew what you had to slow down. You know, this year, No Joe Eastern has to prove he can be an effective perimeter player uh, that if you stop him from going to the basket, what's he, what's he going to counter with? Is he prepared to counter with that? And, you know, similar to Ryan Klein a little bit too. I mean, he's always been known as a shooter, but can he counter when, when, uh, when people are tight on him and, you know, harms now doesn't have the luxury of Haas. You know, he's got to play more minutes. He's got to play extended minutes and he's got to be effective in those, in those minutes. So there's going to be a lot of guys in my opinion that, you know, really have to step up and prove what they can do. And until they do that, your, you know, opponents are going to come after you. 
and take away take away your strengths and you're going you know they're going to have to really improve their weaknesses and I do see a situation where you know Matt's just trying to search for lineups because it's it's going to be rare when four or five guys are all clicking clicking on the same night in part because they just don't have that kind of experience right now I mean you're going to get what you get from Carson Edwards I mean right. everybody knows that but how do the other ones fill in around that to complement him but also at times uh, have to carry the team. He, he, Carson can't play, can't be on the floor the whole the whole time, not for every game. No, and and we just saw a situation where Purdue football was reminded how important small details are. Just a couple of plays here on special teams, a couple of of things that happen in a game can can swing it. And Carson never just going to shoot the ball twenty sometimes a game, depending on how many times he goes to the free throw line. And there's going to be nights where that means. 30 some points and he just blows it up and there's gonna be some nights where those shots don't fall because that's how the game of basketball goes so are you getting enough in the small details at every other spot to make up for that it's going to be our you know, the, the perimeter defense you're getting from guys like ryan klein and, and nojal eastern and edwards himself because you're losing some veteran guy you know dakota Mathias, a two-time big 10 all defensive team guy pj thompson who was solid in that spot and the way that they would jam the the other point guard that's bringing it up and was kind of one of the foundational parts of that defense. You're, you know, you have lost over the past couple of years, really proven rebounders. Obviously, Biggie Swanigan was one of the best in the country at it. Vincent Edwards really surged into a, a bigger part of that role last year. You, you think Evan Boudreaux probably will will account for some of that, but they're going to need it from Grady Eifert. They're going to need it from Eastern. Matt Harms, uh, I talked to um, Brandon Brantley last week who said that he thinks Harms could be a, a double-digit rebounder before the time he's done at Purdue, but he's not doing that quite yet. This is going to be a year where he needs to, you know, the, the problems that Isaac Haas had sometimes with mobility hurt him um, as much as he helped him in so many other facets, hurt them on the rebounding end, and that's a problem that Harms doesn't have, but he's got to still be physical in order to, to establish himself down there. Um, they think they have really good three-point shooting, but they're not necessarily proven as high volume guys the way some of the guys they just lost are so yeah it's it's i would i would just say that this i, I wouldn't i would caution people not to read too much into what you see early on the season because there are it's it's still kind of just a work in progress it doesn't mean this is a rebuilding year by any means i think that the talent is here for purdue to still be successful still factor into the top you know quartile or whatever of the big 10 still be an ncaa tournament team and 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 and, and making some noise in march it's just going to maybe be a slower burn to get to as opposed to last year where you had a such an established team that had such an extensive summer of preparation and came in ready from day one to be one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I mean, if Harms is going to be on the floor 25 to 30 minutes, he can't have five rebounds. He's, you know, he, he right. needs to be a double-digit rebounder if he's going to be on that be on the floor that long, and that's that, that goes just about for everybody except maybe Carson Edwards. I mean, they're – the minutes they play, have they have to be productive, and the stats have to tell you that, and the eyeballs have to tell you that they're they're being a, a productive player out there with those extended minutes. And I think someone like, even for someone like Grady Eifert, that it doesn't necessarily have to be points and rebounds. It has to be: Are you moving the ball in the offense? Are you are you defending your man? Are you in position that sets up other things? Like it, it's not necessarily box score production, but at the same time someone has to be doing the box score production. So it's going to be interesting to see how those sorts of things um, hash themselves out this year. Um, and we'll start to find that out Thursday night at Mackey Arena when Purdue plays Marion. You can all 
finally get to see them in front of your your eyeballs um, as opposed to just hopefully finding out whatever we found out from Saturday. Um, but somebody I saw somebody, this is a new, this is a secret scrimmage, uh, new detail for me was somebody on the West Virginia side, um, was I think annoyed that this only Purdue stuff was, was being trickled out. So they went somewhere in Columbus, Ohio, in that, in the Ohio Dominican building, the gym and found a crumpled up or somewhere they found a crumpled up box score and had posted that, on Twitter. So we got some actual box score from it, but you could tell it had been like scrunched up and, and tossed in a waste can or something. Well, as you know, I have many issues with why this, why these scrimmages are secret and, and all that. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And after that day, if they're that dang secret, then why are you keeping a box score? If you don't want anybody to know and filming it, it by and the way. filming it and well, I mean, you should film it because the coaches need that for, for teaching tools and stuff like that. But if it's going to be secret, then nothing should get out about it. If you know, otherwise, just let people watch it, or at least stream it, or you know, whatever. I mean, just I, I don't, I, I just don't get the whole concept of it. I agree with you, um, <laughs> but I also think that that some of the the reason it's set up the way it is is because that's how coaches want it. They want a lack of scrutiny, at least in the moment, or they get to kind of control what comes out. Of, of these as opposed to I mean, we always tend to find out we always tend to find out who didn't play like Sasha Stavanovich didn't play for Purdue because he's in the concussion protocol from something that happened in practice and um, a couple players didn't play for West Virginia but you kind of knew that going in because they hadn't been practicing and um, I just the 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 level of secrecy that they bring to it I think is a little bit you know very kind of famously I had done this story a couple years ago when Purdue was first getting into it and I reached out to Dayton and said hey just you know we'd like to get your guys comments on I think I was trying to be a little bit more specific about you know why you want to play Purdue that sort of thing. Can I can I get a coach? Can I get can I get a hold of Coach Miller? I don't I remember exactly how I phrased it, but all I got was from their spokesperson back was we take a Fight Club approach to these scrimmages, which is <laughs> you don't talk about secret scrimmage, which was a great line for my story, but it also kind of um, so I had that little hook, but it didn't really bring any clarity to why people want to do these and why specifically they were wanting that matchup so yeah i don't know but both purdue and and west virginia after the fact you had coach huggins on twitter saying hey great to have purdue back they really prepare so that's what it's all about it's about a game that prepares you i just don't understand why and maybe we're maybe now that it's becoming less secret people are talking about it more before and after the fact I mean, Purdue's even posting video clips on their Twitter account from things that happened during the thing. I think they just they posted an extended one yesterday with a lot of things for their In the Arena piece. So now that it's getting to that point, maybe eventually there'll be some sort of breakdown and, and the, this won't be quite as, as secret as it used and, to be. And the, and the preseason stuff or the, the games that don't count that we're forced to watch, NFL preseason games, right? they should make those secret and not allow anybody <laughs> Well, certainly those. don't make you pay for them at, at full well, freight in that's some true. cases. Well, they don't, but in the end, it it all it all adds up to the same. I, I think there are some some teams that make you pay pretty significant. Well, to- I can only speak for the team that I root for, and that's the Bears. And what they 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 tier the like baseball has gone to a little bit where they tier the ticket prices depending on the opponent. Uh-huh. Where in theory, you are paying less for a preseason game. But at the end, you're paying the same. The Packer game is going to be is going to cost you more just on a single ticket basis. Mm-hmm. 
but the preseason game. The, the issue is that they still include the preseason games in your season ticket package, so right. you can't you can't get around. It's it's a it's a it's a two time a year meal that you just have to eat. Right. And I can't remember the last time I went to a preseason game, by the way. <laughs> and I have no plans to go this guy, in the future. This, this guy has some dedication <laughs> on getting to the regular season games. He got home, and I don't even know what time after the Ohio State game. and was up the next morning and, and headed to Chicago. So, um, so yeah, it, that tells you a little bit of how, how pointless the preseason games are <laughs> in, in fans' eyes. But uh, we are digressing from the point. We've kept you on here long enough. So thanks for joining us at Boilers Extra. We'll be back on Saturday night after the Iowa game to give you some reaction to that and uh, follow us on iTunes and subscribe and rate us and uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at InBairedJC. He's at Carmen underscore JC. And uh, keep up the conversation. We will talk to you again soon.